everybody, and welcome to this edition of The Art of Prevailing. As you know, I'm Kathy Schrader of um, Prevailing Matters, an organization that's been created to really support and address all issues that we struggle with. And I'm so excited today to introduce you to my guest, Pam Lanhart. Pam and I met a few years ago at a forum that dealt with making our communities better and uh, really finding innovative ways of, of addressing struggles, supporting people who are struggling, families, organizations. Let's be real, struggle knows no boundaries. We all deal with it all the time, all year long. If you're not in a struggle, you're about to enter a struggle or you're coming out of a struggle. Struggle is a way of life. And the way that we can build our resilience and prevail over every matter that comes against us is to learn new strategies and to be innovative. And that's one of the things that I love about Pam. Uh, my guest today, Pam Lanhart, she's the founder of Thrive Family Support. She, like me, is an innovator, and uh, the two of us are changing the way we support and address our struggling. And uh, I'm just, I'm really excited about the message that she's going to share with us today. She, I'm going to put in the comments below all the links to get to her. So I just want you to sit back and take in all of the wonderful wisdom that she's going to share with us today. So Pam, welcome to the Art of Prevailing. I'm so glad you're here and I'm so glad you're here during the holidays. Well, thank you, Kathy, for having me. I am so honored that you asked me to be here. And just the history that we have to be able to come together in this way, in this time, is just so beautiful. And I'm grateful as well for all the wonderful work that you're doing. Um, to just help people resiliency, especially during this, not just the fact that it's the holiday, but it's a different kind of holiday this year because we have COVID on top of our holiday celebrations or what can be a really difficult time for many families. And then the support system that they're used to having that they may have already built might not be there right now. So connection is so uh, difficult during this time of COVID, but then during the holidays, there's just another whole layer of pain that can come with, you know, the empty chair at the table, the fact that you may have lost a loved one this year, that you may have loved ones that are suffering or struggling. And so for many people, this is a time of great joy and celebration. And for many of you that are listening today, it's a time of difficulty and heartache and pain. Well, share with us a little bit of your stories. Tell, tell our viewers and our listeners how you came to be where you are today. So my, my story really starts when I was born. Now looking back, I understand more of my trauma, the generational trauma that came in my family. There was trauma on both sides. Um, so my, I, I was born into a family where my father had alcohol use disorder and my mother struggled a little while with that as well, but it was a pretty toxic home life. Now, looking back, my dad's dad died when my dad was 18 months old. He had no father. Now that I think about his life from the viewpoint that I have, I think, oh my gosh, he was 19 years old when he got married. And by the time he was 25, he had five kids. Um, it was a very difficult season for him 
I, when I think about him, I think, oh, he probably had ADHD and, you know, other, other things going on mental health wise. So I grew up in that kind of environment, but um, in 1991, we, and we got married, I was, I was 19, my husband was 21, but in 1991, we kind of radically changed our life and um, started growing in our faith. And so we thought, well, we're gonna do better as a family and we're gonna break this generational cycle because I had known about addiction by that point and knew that it was a possibility. We had siblings that had struggled. And so I was like, I am going to break the pattern and our family is going to be kind of that perfect little, you know, suburban family. And when my son was 12, 11, 12, we noticed behavior changes. When he was 13 years old, we got a call from school that he had brought a backpack full of pills to school. And by 15, he was in his first treatment. By 16, he was in the criminal justice system um, in juvenile treatment court. And then, you know, his disease progressed to IV heroin. Um, in 2018, the, well, it was February, yeah, February of 2019, um, he went to treatment for the last time. So he is in recovery now from, a, you know, really all substances. But through that journey, as you can imagine, there, was, there were hills, valleys, ups, downs, so much um, suffering and we didn't know then what we know now and you know now that we know better we do better so I've walked through all of that process of having to kind of forgive myself because I was so triggered by some of the things that he was doing because of my own trauma um, probably created a little additional trauma in our family as a result of that but we embraced recovery um, we embraced recovery as a family. I learned everything I know from the recovery community itself. So I'm not making things up. Um, it, this stuff that I, the things that I really um, profess and have uh, done in my own life and have helped hundreds of families walk through really came from the recovery community, from people who uh, experienced this and knew what worked for them. And so I've taken the things that I've learned and transferred it into, you know, kind of a social media um, influencing situation and, I, and, and my nonprofit work, my private work. So my mission really is to help families, to hopefully help them to know what I didn't know so that they can do things differently in their family. And it is radically making a difference. Well, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you because you, like me, we have personal experience and we have professional experience. And what I have found in a lot of treatment facilities going through that journey, being abused by several treatment facilities that take advantage of a parent's fear or a loved one's fear and play on that, make certain promises. And then you find out they're not really uh, following best practices. They don't have evidence-based models. They can't deliver the results and they actually do more harm and destruction to the, the patient and the client 
than what they're offering or, or, or what the client entered the facility in the first place. And I think that's one of the reasons I resonated with you is because you are adopting evidence-based models. You have adopted the best practices and you have also sat back and I loved how you said, I've addressed my trauma. I have forgiven myself because um, loved ones and support systems do feel bad when they, in a, in a certain time period, in a certain season of their life, they do the best they can with the information that they have to work with. And then five to 10 years later, they found out there was a better way. And frankly, that's one of the reasons I've created Prevailing Matters to at least get information out there that there is a better way. And one of the things that I recognized early on in my journey through as a professional through the court system as a treatment court judge was that many of the principles weren't being followed by even the providers we were using because it um you, uh, it you have adopted you have been a maverick in uh sharing the message that love has to be part of the formula, that the old model under Alcoholics Anonymous of tough love can't work with some of the substance abuse disorders and particularly specific substances of our time because they're just too deadly. Plus that tough love model is actually damaging to the psyche of those particular substance abusers. So share a little bit about how you came to create the model that you use at Thrive Family Support and even that you now have in your book about praying our loved ones home. Yeah, and um, you know, it's interesting because I think every family would say that they loved their child no mother would say that they don't love their child, but the pain is so great in substance use that uh, navigating what that love is going to look like and for and um, sometimes so when you do trauma work and you know this Kathy one of the books I love is and you can put this in the little uh, chat box is it's called um, the body keeps the score and it's all about uh, trauma and how we respond to trauma. And so when someone uses substances, um, your child goes that way, you really experience this trauma. But what happens a lot of times in our trauma is we start to feel normal when we're creating chaos, when, you know, we do, we're protecting ourselves in that. So we, we might think that the only way that we can walk through this is to be mean or to cut our person off or to kick them out. And what we do know- That's actually a part of some of the traditional models. Right. Is cut them off and mm -hmm. abandon them, which is contrary to what some trauma and therapeutic professionals say is because a lot of our substance abusers have been traumatized by a form of neglect or abandonment or isolation. So that just feeds the additional trauma of the, the care that they're supposed to be received. Right, well, and then we look at, um, for example, opiate use disorder, right? So we know that the opioids work on the neurotransmitters and they impact physical pain. What That's why they are used for painkillers, but they do the same thing with emotional pain. Right. So now you think about that, like 
someone might get addicted to opiates because they were prescribed them for some reason. They had surgery, they had an accident, whatever it might be. And then there's layers of emotional pain that are added to that by their family because people have been advising them to do some sort of tough love thing, um, to cut them off, to detach, to kick them out, to disconnect. And that really escalates the emotional pain. So then you have additional emotional pain that is numbed by the opioids. So it's like, I call it the cycle of chaos. We add to it all the time. So it's like, we, we create this story in our head about our person. We look to validate that story. They're an addict. They're, you know, they're doing this to me. Um, there's all kinds of stories that we create about our person. And then we want to validate that story. And, and our behavior then matches that. And so we get caught up in this cycle, right? So, you know, we might lash out at them. They then respond to that in a negative way. They go use, they use some more. So it just, it just keeps going like this. And I, I have families that reach out to me daily saying, I really don't know what else to do. I've tried everything. My person knows that I love them, but what, to me, what love means in all of this isn't words, it's our way of being. And that's the way I describe this is, um, there's two things that I talk about a lot. And one is um, treating our person humanely, um, that every single person deserves a humane response, right? Which includes food and shelter and emotional safety and security, right? So if someone it doesn't feel safe, they will not heal. So the first thing I do is try to help families create a safe environment. Now, of course, that might mean there have to be some boundaries. We're not talking about you don't have boundaries, that you let your person do whatever they want in your home. You can't interact with them in a way that honors them if you're not safe. So we create safe spaces, right? And so the first thing really is um, being humane to our loved one. And then the second thing is just treating them with dignity and giving them agency in their decisions, right? So this comes right out of the page book of motivational interviewing. This is all about empathy, compassion, self-efficacy, helping them to carry their own boulders to some degree. What do you think you need? What can we do to support you? Rather than um, shaming and telling and blaming and all of those things that we do in the disease, we take it so personally. What we try to get families to do is step out of that and use those tools from you know, uh, DBT, so how do we practice mindfulness in the middle of this so that we can be intentional? Um, what, so what we do is stop and take a look at the things that are most important, what we value, how we wanna be, and then let's try to move through this with intention in a way that honors them and honors us. Well, and I think our industry has done a very bad job of building awareness that addiction is a brain disease. 
And with the scientific studies, the data and the evidence that has been published in the last five years, we should all be ashamed of ourselves that we don't advise um, people, we don't educate, we don't stand at the top of the roofs and, and, and yell about the fact that the substance abuse is a brain disease and it can, your brain can be healed. Um, the old myth, the old um, theology of AA, of once your brain is damaged, you, you can't, you'll never be the same, uh, especially through substance abuse disorder or even mental health is false. The scientific evidence disproves that. And there are so many new methods to be able to restore, like you said, the cognitive ability to reconnect the brain functions, build new neural pathways, and really restore the mind, the body, and the spirit of our sweet people who have been struggling. They've been traumatized by this very system that should be supporting and helping them heal. Um, so I just applaud you for creating a formula. It sounds like that you're delivering through both your social media through Thrive Family Support. And you know, you mentioned earlier that the holidays are, are really, really painful for families and for individuals. Um, because an individual we know that an individual that is struggling with substance abuse and uh, walking the journey of recovery needs the support, the love and the connection of their family. But during, you know, during different stages of that walk, they're separated from their families. And especially if they're separated during a time of, of uh, traditions like the holidays where families have a lot of traditions, that causes a, a lot of additional pain and, and some you know, despair, discouragement, um, even depression. A lot of people find themselves in a state of depression during this year. So can you offer us some, um, maybe a few tips for both individuals and for families? Yeah, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. And one of the words I don't use is the word enabling. I really believe in the word intention. And so the question during the holidays becomes, what is our intention with our, the people that we love the most? And I think most people would agree that the intention is connection. Um, so there's a couple things that I um, will work through with my families, which is how can I stay safe, but yet still connect with my person in a way that maybe would be um, neutral and agreeable and not and and safe for both family and the person. And so, one of the things I hear a lot is um, with families is you know don't give them any money, don't make them comfortable, don't do anything for them. Um, in the holiday season, I just want to say it's okay to maybe just with the intention of connection and love and um, maintaining some holiday peace, it's okay. You know, it's okay to, um, if they're not completely disruptive, invite your person over for dinner. Uh, if that's not possible, and I know again, in the age of COVID, things are kind of crazy, go to them, find a park, spend time with them, um, just find a way to connect. People say, well, what should I give them 
for gifts. I'm like, you know, we used to work with the homeless all the time and we didn't really worry about the $10 gift card to Subway if they were going to sell it or not. You know, I, I think that there's part of those old paradigms that we're just ingrained in over and over and over again that we can set aside for the sake of connection. So I always say, don't buy your person groceries, go deliver them groceries, you know? Um, don't buy them something, take them out shopping, have that experience. And when you treat them humanely and you're kind with them, um, then generally things might, you know, things will go okay. In early recovery, especially, it shouldn't be an issue. If they're in active use, it might be a shorter period of time. It might be at a neutral location. So if things escalate, you can leave. But what I found is the more I treated my son in a way that honored him, the less volatile our interactions got, the less, you know, things were tense for us. Um, one of the things I would really tell people is just to let go of expectations, right? So I, I know you don't want to be around someone who might be using, um, but if they're not destructive, maybe set that aside, okay? They're, you don't have to walk into it and go, okay, Art, let me do a breath test or a you know, drug test to see if you're not using. I, I think it's okay to spend time with people even when um, they don't always measure up to your expectations because that connection that you will gain will be so much more valuable. Well, and that comes back to um, the neuroscience evidence, scientific evidence that has been published over the last couple of years about the way these substances cause a disruption in brain functioning. Because you mentioned just now, you know, if they're acting obstinate or they're belligerent or argumentative, that's actually one of the side effects or consequences of certain substances. So it, understanding the science and understanding brain functionality really helps the support group or the caregivers understand that that's that's part of their disease. Some of this behavior is part of the disease. We certainly, if, if someone that was struggling with diabetes, every time they took their medication, it made them mean, we certainly wouldn't hold that against them because right. They have to take the medication to survive. Now I understand the the dichotomy of substance abuse, but what most people really haven't been taught is substance abuse actually causes a disconnect in the brain. Mm -hmm. and, but but the good news is once the healing begins, that disconnect goes away. And that's why people will say things like, oh, Bobby's back to him to his old self. Well, that's because his brain is reconnected the way it was meant to be formed. And uh, just helping the caregivers understand, don't take it personal. This is, you know, scientific evidence says this is the way he's he, he will act when he takes certain substances. And if we can get past that and still love him despite his disease, that's where the healing can really start taking place for both the caregiver and the individual that's struggling. 
Well, there's two things I want to bring up about that. And the first one is reward and response, right? So that's how we create neural pathways. When I use, I get a reward, it makes me feel right. in the blank. And so it's, you know, it's like the Pavlov dog experiment, right? Where like, I know that if I do this, I'm going to get this hit and it's going to feel good. What we know about neuroscience and the brain and dealing with loved ones that have substance use disorder is the op the same thing is true for positive rewards. So positive reinforcement has the same reward and response. And so if I find ways to interact with my loved one in a positive way to reinforce the positive things that they're doing to validate them to um, give them a little dopamine hit when they're doing something well oh i noticed that you you helped your friend today i love how you're so kind with other people boom dopamine hit right so we can start to re as a family member we can kind of reprogram their brain to respond to the positive things and since we're getting into some of these uh, technical words, dopamine is actually the chemical that makes us feel good and makes us feel loved and helps us relax. And especially for our people who struggle with anxiety, dopamine is, is the natural provider for what they're what they've been searching for in some of these. Uh, substances or other self-harming behaviors. Mm -hmm. So, well, um, talk to us a little bit about how people can manage some of these hard emotions and hard feelings that they may be experiencing right now during the holidays. Yeah. So one of the things that is true is that busyness is a trauma response. And so we busy ourselves and then it ends up sort of um, perpetuating the negative experiences in our lives. So what I know for me this year, especially with COVID and the work that I do, I, I just had to build in extra time and space so that I can give myself the emotional, um, the, the emotional feeding, you know, feeding myself good things so that I can handle the hard things, right? So um, whatever that looks like, and I know this sounds very simple, but I'm telling you, it works really well, which is, you know, start your day with a meditation. Start your day with a little extra space in your day so that you can get balanced. I, I call it, you know, getting your wise mind so that we can start the day to respond in a way that is intentional. Um, I think like our thoughts, our behaviors follow our thoughts. So I like writing down mantras, writing down things that will be helpful. How do I want to think about my person? How do I want to feel about today? How do, what do I really believe is the truth about my life and my person and the universe and my God as I understand him? So I think it's really important to get your thinking right as you walk through the day. Um, feed yourself good things physically, mentally, emotionally. What am I feeding myself? That's a really important question. So during the holidays, we eat yucky, we drink yucky. Um, that's a scientific word, isn't it? Yucky. <laughs> but, you know, truly like, am I, am I nourishing my body? 
And am I nourishing my mind? What am I putting into it? And so I think that especially this time of year, we want to do that. Um, I think that another really practical thing is changing our expectations. And we have to remember, and especially in this day of social media, we are comparing our very imperfect, very difficult, uh, very sometimes painful life to everyone else's Facebook highlight reels. Right. And so, you know, life isn't a highlight reel. And we have to remember that this is real life. And I, you know, take a break from social media if you need to, except for your program. Um, <laughs> do what you have to do in order to... You know, the, the thing about the, this pandemic is that it's driven us all to actually get on social media more so that we can stay connected. It's just like everything else. We do have to make sure that we're balancing that. Mm -hmm and that we're watching good things and we're not just uh, watching things that we're going to compare ourselves to, which is going to make us feel even worse. Well, and I, you know, I, um, I run a private Facebook group called Thrive Family Addiction Support. And I know that Facebook is a place where a lot of family members, mothers especially, crowdsource in Facebook groups. But this time of year, that can be very dangerous. I mean, there's a couple of things that come out of those groups. I, you know, someone's asking for some guidance and 99 out of the 100 people will say, cut them off, kick them out, do tough love, you got to do, you know, and it's not evidence-based advice. It's it's just based on kind of their own experience or, or what they've been told by their sponsor, you know. So I would say, be really careful about your source of information and your source of support because uh, it can be really discouraging and especially, you know, around the holidays, I think that there's more difficult stuff going on out there. And that's, if, if you're in those groups and you're looking at that every single day, you're just going to get sad and depressed. Yes. Um, so, you know, one of the things that really helped me in the last year that I was super surprised about, because Kathy, I, you, if you look at my book stand, I probably am reading 30 books at one time because I just want to learn everything I can about substance use and addiction yes. and the brain and all of those things. And I started reading one book a month for fun. I joined a book club. Excellent. And so I would say take, like, make sure that you have friends in your life that aren't in this difficult season that can support you, encourage you, intentionally do something that's fun um you know we have once a month we get together it's been um really remarkable how much it's lifted my spirit to just read a really good book once a month well and you know you mentioned a few minutes ago that connection is the opposite of addiction but connection is vital for human health and wellness, because we're made for connection. We're, we're not made to be lone rangers. We're not made to survive alone. We're made to be, uh, we're all different pieces to a puzzle in the lives of everybody that we know. And um, so I, I love that book club um, idea because you're connecting uh, about something other than yourselves 
Um, mindfulness is all about focusing on something to help your brain relax from the stress and anxiety of whatever you've been worried about. So when you're reading a book, you are intentionally focusing on something else that allows the stress and anxiety part that's gotten your brain so agitated to calm down and, and you feel more relaxed. And then when you connect with somebody, you're, you're feeling even better. So that's- If we think about it, I mean, the truth is when we interact with our loved one in a negative way or step into that chaos, it releases dopamine for us. And so what do we need to do to get those positive rewards in a different manner? So when we start to step out of some of that chaos and drama, and start to change our way of being. All of a sudden, there's my. Sometimes there, it almost feels like you have this void. Like, oh, okay, if I'm not going to do that, then what am I going to do? Like, so finding one of the things we talk about in recovery is crowding, right? So the idea of crowding is putting so many things in your positive recovery bucket that it pushes out the negative things that you're doing. And so think if you're a family member and you're feeling like you need to learn more about what recovery looks like for you, practice that same principle. So these are the negative things that are happening in my life. These are some of the behaviors that I'm that I want to change. So I'm going to crowd them out. So I'm going to put things into my positive bucket this Christmas, things that fill me up, things that bring me life, things that make me feel joy and happiness. Those are the things I'm going to put in my bucket so that I'm less inclined to want to get stuck in the drama. Well, and I want to circle back to that magic word you used a few minutes ago, intention. You have to be intentional about this because humans by nature, we're lazy and we're negative. If you're not intentional about filling up your bucket with things that light you up, that make you feel joy, that release positive energy in your body and around you, then your default position is going to be negativity. So um, I just love how you've intertwined all of that. And of course, you're doing that because your, uh, your message to begin with is thrive. And we're all built to thrive. It, it takes intention, but we are built, built to thrive. And to have a um, you know a magnificent impact on our lives, on, on the people around us, and on our communities. And when we find ourselves in a place of discouragement and despair, it's very hard to do that. But I think you have the formula. We're we have the formula. We're all uh, supporting people who are facing challenges like like never before, never before. Twenty has been a year of unbelievable challenges for so many. And one thing I want to add is, you know, when we're, as a family member, when we have someone suffering, um, and this is common in any disease. So I, I just want to say this is, if you're listening to this and you have a loved one that has cancer, or you have a loved one that's fighting COVID, or, um, you know, Alzheimer's, dementia, whatever it happens to be, there's a part of us that feels guilty and bad when we're happy, yes. right? So it almost feels like disconcerting when you know that your person is suffering, whether it's whatever it is that they're suffering with. And, and I'm, so there's a, 
there's part of us that says like, oh, I don't deserve this. Like I can't be happy. And there's this saying like a mother's only as happy as her saddest child. And you know, that um, I think for mothers, especially that uh, it, there's a little bit of truth to that. We feel really bad and guilty when we're enjoying life and we know someone that we love is really struggling with something. And this time of year, you're gonna have highs and lows and they can be very extreme. We're gonna have moments where we are gonna have joy and we feel great. We're gonna have moments where we feel really sad. Um, every once in a while, I would literally put on a sad movie so I could bawl my eyes out and ugly cry because I just needed to get it out of my system. You know, I just needed to work through that emotion and then I would kind of get back to my typical self. So. I think we're, what I want, I guess what I'm saying is I want to give you permission. If you're listening to this today and you're like, you know, but I really am not happy right now. Things are really sad. First of all, yes, they are. And it's okay to experience that, but it's also okay to find moments of joy and beauty and love, even when it's hard. Yes. And, and that's part of what I tell uh, my clients is um, it's okay to feel the pain and it's healthy to feel the pain. What's not okay is to cling to the pain, um, that there's a process of healing. Everybody's process of healing is different, but especially during the holidays, it's okay to excuse yourself and go have a good ugly cry with big crocodile tears and, and, and like you said, it's very therapeutic to let those tears out and let some of the pain out because you've used the bucket symbolism several times. Well, when your trauma bucket gets full, if you don't empty some of that trauma bucket out, it's going to come out somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time, people don't empty their trauma bucket and it comes out sideways in hurtful ways that we never intend. So um, I love how you say, I give you permission. It's okay. It's okay to feel your pain. Let it process it for a minute. And then let's get back to uh, counting our blessings, being grateful for all the good things that we can celebrate and that we can em embrace and know that the pain, we can heal from the pain and we can heal from this trauma. It's, for some of us, it takes more work than others. But I think one of the key things I want to make sure people are aware of is that you don't have to go through the pain all alone. Organizations like ours are all over the place. So for any of our viewers or any of our listeners, where you feel you're, you are in a painful place in your life, whether it's because of the pandemic or because you have a loved one that's in treatment and for the first time you don't have them home for the holidays or, you know, like me personally, I have lost seven relatives this year to a variety of reasons. So there are gonna be several empty chairs at my table, but I am equipped and have been equipped to know how to navigate this awful 
roller coaster ride of these traumatic events because of my experience, my training, and my credentials. But if if you find your place at that, if you find yourself at a hard place this year, reach out to organizations like Thrive Family Support, uh, Prevailing Matters. Um, send us a send us a private message. We are here. This is what we are equipped to do: is to help you walk this journey to a place of help, being healthier, being happier, being more joy filled, being more connected, enjoying your relationships with your loved ones more. All the wonderful things that life has to offer for you. You don't have to struggle alone. That's, I think, Pam, that's our primary message, not only during this time of year, but all year round is that, yes, we all have to cry alone in our shower or in our closet or wherever our safe place is to let the tears out. But we don't have to stay in this pain and not receive some care and receive some healing from people who know how to take us through the storm in a healthy way and actually a quicker way. Because- I just want to add something to that too, which is my guess is you have other family members in your life that would love to hear from you. There are other people in your life that might be struggling as well. And one of the, one of the really great principles of AA or Al-Anon is, not, is uh, step 12, which is that we seek to give back, right? And share the message of hope. And I think that when, when we can reach out to that other person that might be struggling or, you know, you hear of someone getting COVID and you're like, I'm going to run and pick up a meal and deliver it over to you or bring you some groceries. Or even, you know, sometimes when we're walking through difficult times, our other family members, our spouses can oftentimes suffer because we've, we're sitting in this place of, survival mode and pain and and so my one of the other tips and I know Kathy you said give me some practical tips so here's one this week reach out to someone that you know needs some encouragement and support because that. we can get outside of ourselves and give back to other people um and encourage other people all of a sudden our world starts to look different yes yes Okay, so as we close, you, do you have some final words of wisdom for us? Well, you know, Kathy, uh, we were talking earlier and I was sharing something that I had written today. And I think I'm, um, we talked about me reading this and I, I love to write. Um, I write quite a lot. And this was my thought this morning. I'm just gonna share this with you. It says, as I sit in my quiet house this morning, reflecting on the blessings of my life right now, I also remember a time when it wasn't like this. There were several years where we weren't having silent nights and there was no peace in our home. I'm grateful that we aren't there anymore. But if you are in that place right now, the place of great suffering and pain, there are two things I wanna whisper in your ear. First, that he sees you. He sees everything that is going on in our lives. He sees the difficulties we are going through. He sees the empty chair at the table. He sees your struggle and physical or emotional pain. And he is with you, my friend. Second, while I understand the suffering and I also know to, what I also know to be true is that we can experience great pain 
and great joy and peace all at the same time. They are not mutually exclusive. But for me, the joy and peace can only come from one source. People disappoint. Expectations always leave us feeling empty. There's no such thing in our humanness as perfect. But in and through him, I am able to experience beauty even in the middle of the ashes. I want you to know today that you are not alone, that love and hope is real. It is not a nebulous thing that others talk about, and it is not wishful thinking. If you need support, if you need prayer, if you need some encouragement this week, don't hesitate to reach out. This has been a hard year for so many of us, but his power will lead us through. Much love to you, Pam. That's beautiful. And that's so true. And it's so wise. So uh, friends, viewers, listeners, um, I hope you've heard the message loud and clear today that we're here to support you. Um, you, do, you do not have to struggle. You do not have to suffer alone. It's okay to experience your pain. We want to let you know that um, struggles are painful. Challenges are painful but you have support, you have someone that can connect with you, you have somebody who understands the, the pathway that uh, you need to walk, and we're here. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I hope you found some nuggets of wisdom that can help motivate you to move forward, to take that step towards prevailing or thriving. Um, you have two organizations here that would love to support you. So our wish for you is health, healing, and connectedness. So come and visit with us. I'll have all of our information in the comments below here on Facebook. And we'd love to hear if any of these strategies help you navigate through the holidays and have a peaceful, joyful, and warm feeling in your heart as a result of anything that we can help you do. Thank you.